Thanks so much for checking back in as we continue in our series, I Am Who I Am. This week, Trey is teaching on Jesus' second I Am statement, which asserts Jesus as the light of the world. So as we open God's word, let's open our hearts to receive the truth He desires to shine upon us. Tonight we continue with the second installment of our I Am Who I Am series. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and make your way to the book of John in chapter 7 and find your way all the way to the end of that chapter as we continue in our series tonight. And we're going to be looking over the next few weeks at each of the I Am statements that Jesus made of himself throughout John's gospel account. So last week we looked at how Jesus asserted that he is the bread of life. As we come to our text for tonight, we see Jesus make his second I Am statement where he makes the assertion that I am the light of the world, which is the subject of our message tonight. And there are actually two different instances in which Jesus states this. And I want us to look at both of them tonight because I believe when they combine together, it helps give us an even fuller picture of who Jesus is as the light of the world. And the first instance happens at the end of chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8. And in your Word of God, you might notice something that's a little bit different about that passage. And it may have brackets around it. And I just want to give you some understanding as to why that is. Most scholars believe that this story was not actually a part of John's account of the gospel. And so it wasn't something that he actually wrote down himself. Most of the old ancient manuscripts that contained John's recording of the gospel account didn't include this story. But somewhere along the way, it got added in. And so I don't want you to get worried about the fact that we're looking at a parenthetical kind of passage in God's Word tonight because obviously God had a desire and God had a plan for it to be included in His Word. Otherwise, it wouldn't be there. So He wants us to learn something from it tonight. I have no doubt about that. But just to give you some context of the story as we get into it, the Pharisees or the religious people, as we get into the text, they had apparently caught this woman in the act of adultery. And they were attempting to trap Jesus in his words. And so they wanted to bring this woman to Jesus and try to get him to self-condemn himself. So they trapped her in the act of adultery and they're going to bring her to Jesus and throw her in front of him and say, what are you going to do, Jesus? The law says that she should be stoned. And so they knew if Jesus obeyed the law and stoned the woman that his reputation as a gracious and merciful Savior would be out the window. But they also knew that if Jesus decided not to condemn the woman and not have her put to death as the law said, Well, then he was breaking the very law that he came to fulfill, so to speak. And thus, by Jewish law, that day would have given the religious people the authority to have Jesus put to death. And so they tried to set a sneaky little trap for Jesus. And they dragged this woman in front of her. And we pick up the story in John chapter 7, starting in verse 53, where God's word reads, They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning... He came again to the people, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? And they spring the trap. And this they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. 
Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. So I wanted you to hold your spot right there because I want us to move over and go ahead and grab the second instance of Jesus asserting himself as the light of the world. And it happens in chapter 9 where Jesus encounters a blind man and brought him healing. So if you look in chapter 9, starting in verse 1, God's Word tells us that as he passed by, talking about Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva, and then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so he went and washed and came back seeing. So jump back over to the end of chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8. We look at this woman caught in adultery more in depth, and there are a few different things that I want us to see that light does. After Jesus had spoken to these people and they had gone away one by one, if you notice what he says in verse 12 after they had left, again Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There's a few different things that light in and of itself does. And the first couple of things that we're going to see tonight are personal effects of light. So the first thing that I feel like God wants us to see tonight is that light exposes. These people, they caught this woman in the act of adultery. And so they drag her out and drag her to the synagogue where Jesus was teaching and they kick the doors open and have complete disregard for the fact that Jesus was teaching a message. And they drag this woman in front of her. They throw her in Jesus' midst. And they very, very publicly announce her sin. So imagine you're sitting in a church service one day and the religious people, instead of being in a synagogue listening to the message, they're out on a witch hunt looking for everybody that's got any kind of sin in their life. And they find this woman caught in the act of adultery, and they grab her, and they drag her to church, and they kick the doors open, and they very publicly proclaim to everybody that was in the audience that day, we caught this woman in adultery. How would you feel if that was the kind of church service you were a part of? You see, Jesus left us with a mission to go out and seek and to save the lost. He never said anything about going out and finding them and then humiliating them. But they kicked the doors open and they dragged this woman in front of Jesus and they very publicly announced her sin in front of everybody. What if we publicly announced all the sin in your life? How embarrassed would you be? How humiliated would you be? Not only before God, but before your peers. And all the time you had spent trying to make a good reputation for yourself, and here these people are screaming at the top of their lungs, we got her, Jesus. She's an adulterer. And in other words, you know, you could say that she had been exposed. There wasn't any denying it. I mean, she was guilty. There was no doubt. She didn't even try to deny it. She never made a case for herself. She never tried to make a justification for why she did what she did. She just stood there in silence. So they drag her in front of Jesus and they begin to publicly announce, this woman's a adulterer, she's an adulterer, she's an adulterer. And you know, I think sometimes we tend to be the loudest about other people's sin just so we can get the attention off our own. 
But here she stood before the light of the world, completely exposed, absolutely guilty, condemned to die by the law. And what happened next, nobody could have predicted. Nor were they prepared for what Jesus was about to do. And the text tells us that as they drag this woman in front of Jesus, she's standing there and they're making these accusations, that Jesus bends down and he begins to write on the ground. And as he's writing, they begin to continually press Jesus for a response. Jesus, we caught this woman in adultery. What are you going to do? The law of Moses says that she should be stoned. Women like this should be stoned. Sinners don't need stoning, by the way. They need saving. And Jesus bends down. He's riding on the ground. They keep pressing. Jesus, Jesus, what are you going to do? And, and he finally stands up. And he says, I tell you what. Let those among you who have no sin be the first to throw the stone at her then. And one by one, they begin to drop the rocks. And they begin to walk away. Because you see, the light of the world exposes the sin of everyone's life. Even the sin that you keep hidden. They expose this woman's actions, but Jesus exposed their hearts. Nobody really knows what he was writing in the dirt. But after he makes this claim, okay, let those of you that are without sin throw the first stone at her. He bends down and he begins to write again. Nobody knows exactly what Jesus is writing, but I like to think he was writing out the sins of each and every one of those men that was there. And I don't necessarily think that he wrote their names out beside them, but I think one by one he began to write out in the dirt the secret sins that these men carried in their lives. Why? Because he's the light of the world, and he knew exactly what was in each and every one of their hearts. And as they're standing there and they see Jesus write this out on the ground, he's like, oh, shoot. going to set the rock down and go back to minding my own business because that's what the light of the world does the darkest corners of your heart cannot hide from the light of Christ listen to me the darkest corners of your heart cannot hide from the light of Christ you might have kept it hidden from everybody else but the light of the world is shining right on top of it. He knows that it's there. And listen, that might scare the crap out of you. And it should in some regards. But as the light of the world, Jesus exposes our sin. Why does he expose our sin? So he can address our need for a Savior. And when they came under conviction, these men, they, they came under conviction, the condemning crowd, they dropped their stones and they left. And Jesus asked the woman, he says, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, Lord. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Jesus doesn't expose our sin so that he can condemn us. He exposes our sin so that we might come to him and he can forgive us. That's good. And that's what I love about our gracious and merciful Savior, the whole purpose of him doing what he was doing was not co to condemn anybody that was there, but it was to give an opportunity for them to receive forgiveness. Jesus didn't bypass this woman's sin 
He didn't give her a free pass. He gave her a warning as he sent her away. Go now and what? Sin no more. Leave this behind. You don't need to be doing this. As the light of the world shines upon our heart, he's going to find things that we don't need to be doing. And he's going to expose those things. But exposure is a good thing. It might hurt temporarily because when you spend your life walking around in darkness and the light finally comes on, it hurts for a little bit. Just ask the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 9, the light of the world shone into his life and he was blind for three days. But what led to that was a life of salvation and service. Exposure hurts temporarily. But it satisfies eternally. So light exposes. Which moves us into the next thing that it does. So once the light of the world exposes the things in our life, he illuminates. So light illuminates, which literally means to light up. In and of itself, that word illuminate means to light up. And Jesus says in verse 12, Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus, as the light of the world, illuminates. That's what he does. And this means a couple of things that I want to show you real quick. The first thing that it means is that he illumines the path to God. He illuminates the path to God. So what sin does is it enters into our life. It sends us stumbling around in darkness. All throughout God's Word, you see sin connected with darkness. And so when we enter into sin, we were born into it. Before we come to Christ, we stumble around in darkness. I mean, we literally, we can't find, we're feeling around. We're trying to find our way around in life because we've messed up the relationship that we were supposed to have. And as we stumble around, we feel back and forth. We're trying to find the path to get back on that will lead us back to relationship with our Heavenly Father. But we can't do it. Have any of y'all ever been in a cave before and turned your light off? Cave darkness is a different kind of darkness. I mean, like, hand in front of your face, can't see. That's, that's sin darkness. You will never find your way back to God. But see, what happens is, is Jesus, as the light of the world, comes down, and he lights the path up. In John chapter 1, verse 5, God's Word says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know what that tells me? It don't matter how dark your life is. Jesus can light it up. I don't care what kind of sin you've been in. I don't care what kind of situation. I don't care how bad you've messed up, what kind of mistakes you've made, or how many times you've made them. There is no darkness in your life so great that the light of Jesus cannot overcome it. He illuminates the path back to God. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 21 says this, For in Him, talking about Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on heaven or in earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he's brought back to himself. He illuminates the path back to God. But there's a second thing that he does as the light of the world. He illuminates our path through life. So once we come to him, he becomes our forever navigator. As you walk through this life, I, I like to hunt. I know we probably got some hunters in here. I'm so ready for fall to be here because that means hunting's here. My wife doesn't like hunting season because Trey's never home. But that's okay. It puts food on the table. Ain't that right? That's how I justify it. So I like to hunt. Uh, one, one item is essential when it comes to hunting, and that's a flashlight. Because most times when I go into the woods, it's dark. Most times when I come out of the woods, guess what? It's dark. You've got to have a flashlight. It's essential for me to not only find my way to my stand before the sun comes up, 
but for me to also find my way back to the truck after the sun goes down. It is an essential piece of equipment. Jesus helps us navigate through life in the same way as the light of the world. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You might say, well, that's not Jesus. talking about the word of God. Well, Jesus is the word of God. He's the living word. And so he helps us navigate through life. It's one of the greatest joys of knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior is he gives you guidance. He gives you direction. This life's hard. It's hard enough to navigate on your own. Much better to have a good guide. And that's who Jesus is as the light of this world. He helps navigate through life. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. And the last half of the verse says this, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If you walk in him, he will illuminate the path for you. You may not be able to see five, ten years down the path, but he'll give you enough light to take the next step. And that's the only one that matters. So we've seen the personal effects that Jesus has on us as the light of the world. And now let's get into some practical things. The things that become practical in everyday life. And the first one of those is that light witnesses. As you move back over to the account of the blind man that Jesus healed, after people saw this guy healed, this big discussion breaks out about how this could have happened. So go back to chapter 9, and let's read another section of this passage. Look at verse 8. God's Word says that the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is not this the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, It is he. And others said, No, but he is like him. So they're having this discussion on whether or not this is actually the guy that was blind or not. And some people are saying, Yeah, that's him, I'm telling you. That's blind Bart over there, man. That's him. And other people are like, no, I don't, I don't think it is. It's just somebody that, that just looks like him. And some said it is he, and others said nobody is like him. And he kept saying, I'm the man. So this guy's making testimony. He says, I'm that like guy, dude. Like, I was blind. I can see. I know it's crazy, but I'm actually the dude. And so they said to him, then how were your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. Kind of a strange account, right? They brought the Pharisees to the man who had been formerly blind. Now, it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And so the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. This guy's getting a little agitated about constantly having to explain what happened. He's like, I'm just telling you guys, this dude named Jesus walked up. He did some weird stuff and shoved mud in my eye, which hurt like crazy. Then he told me to go to this pool and to wash it out. And after it was over with, I could see fine. And so the religious people were asking him, so tell us how again this all happened. Uh, Jesus walked up, put mud in my eye, I went and washed, and now I can see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? They're talking about Jesus. And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. Light witnesses. And what I mean by that is, it gives testimony to itself. Light, it, it's something that's seen. It's something that's obvious. It's something that stands out. Nobody ever says, hey, what's that dark over there? Or I wonder what that dark is. I mean, seriously, nobody says that. Or where, where's that dark coming from? No, it's what's that light? Hey, I wonder what that light is. I wonder where that light's coming from. This man, I hope you understand, he had known nothing but darkness his whole life. He was blind from birth. He had never seen light. 
But the light of the world touched him. And everything changed. Everything about his life changed. And you know what? That change was obvious. And people began talking about it. And he gave witness to who changed him. I asked him, who did this to you? The Jesus guy. He wasn't ashamed of it. This is how it should be for us as believers. Our lives should give witness to the light within us. When the light of the world touches your life, it changes everything. And that change should become blatantly obvious to everybody around us. Hey, man, do you see Kyle? There's something different about that dude. He's different from the Kyle that I knew like two or three months ago. What happened? Hey, what happened, dude? Well, I ran into Jesus. Man, did you see Leah? What in the world? Like, she's not the same girl. Something about her looks different. What, Leah, what happened? Ran into Jesus. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 says, For at one time you were darkness. Each and every one of us, apart from Jesus, was darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Listen to what God's Word commands us after that. Walk as children of light. Light witnesses. It gives testimony to itself. It can't help but give testimony to itself. It stands out. It should be obvious, guys. As we walk around in a dark world, it should be obvious. Those of us that have the light of the world living within us. Obvious. It should cause people to talk about the change that they see in us. It should start conversations. It should cause questions. People should be able to look at your life as a follower of Jesus and scratch their head and be like, what? Isn't that the blind dude? What happened to him? Light witnesses. Another small detail that I want to throw into that right here is the fact that light attracts. This situation, have you noticed? It made everybody curious all at once. Nobody cared about old blind Bart when he was blind. He sat outside the city limits and he begged for money as people walked by. Nobody paid any bit of attention to him laying there on the side of the road. But Jesus walks up and changes his life and now everybody's concerned about what happened in his life. Light attracts. You ever been outside? You turn a flashlight on? What happens? It's like an instant flogging of bugs. You walk around in the dark, no problem, nothing's going on, everything's nice. You turn the light on, it's like, vroom, you're, sucking that, you're sucking them up your nose and your mouth and your eye. As soon as you turn that light on, it attracts though. There's something about light that just naturally attracts people. And when we as believers, as the light of the world, walk around in a dark world, something about our life should just naturally attract people to us. What is that light over there? Let's go check that out. Light attracts. Then there's one last thing. Light emboldens. The Pharisees still weren't sold on the fact that a miracle had occurred. They were, they were skeptics to the max. And so they just continued investigating, trying to find out what in the world had actually taken place. So go back in chapter 9. Look at verse 18. This is... I think this is one of the best parts of this message, so don't tune it out. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. So they still don't believe. 
Here the guy's been on solid road. He's been blind from birth. And these guys are still, I don't, I don't believe it. He was faking it or something in their mind, apparently. Let's look at what they did. It says, until they had called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, we know that this is our son, that he was born blind. So they called the parents in. It was like a parent-teacher meeting. They're like, is this your kid? Is this your boy? Was he blind? Yeah, been blind since birth. Well, how in the world does he now see? Listen to the parents' response. Here's the difference when Jesus enters into your life. There were some serious consequences that could be faced right here. As members of the Jewish people, if they were to go with the claim that Jesus was who he said he was, which these Jews believed to be blasphemy, so if these parents went along with the fact that Jesus was indeed the Son of God, they could be expelled, they could be excommunicated from the community. So look at verse 21. How does, now how does he see? We do not know. This is his parents speaking. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. Don't you find it odd that if you were born blind and somebody gave you your sight back, who is the first people you're going to go and tell about? Your parents. And you're going to tell them who did it. He'd already told everybody else. Why wouldn't he tell his parents? But they're scared. They're scared of the consequences that they might face. So I was like, why don't you ask him? He's of age. He can speak for himself. Verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared, there it is, the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. And therefore his parents said, he's of age, ask him. Verse 24, for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Talking about Jesus. Calling Jesus a sinner. And he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know. Though I was blind, now I see. So here we go again. And they said to him, what did he do to you? <laughs> How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already. And you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. Getting a little snippy with the... Religious leaders. <laughs> we don't know where this man comes from. Why ain't that just skippy for y'all? This is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from. And yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. Ooh-wee. Now we're calling names now. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. This man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. Yeah. Light emboldens. In other words, it brings courage to conquer fear. This man was giving it to the so-called religious leaders, man. He's got this boldness, he's got this fire about him. He's like, man, I don't care. Kick me out of the synagogue. You already had me laying on the street corner when I was blind anyway. How many times do I have to tell you this man named Jesus walked up, I was blind, he touched my eyes, and now I can see, and I don't know how to explain it. I just know I believe it. I get a little nervous sometimes getting ready to come out of the woods at night. I'm not going to lie. There's some stuff out there that makes some weird noises that I don't know what it is. And so I'm nervous when I start to coming out until I get my flashlight out. 
just turning on that one little light, now all of a sudden I'm bold. I got courage. I'm not scared anymore. I have a flashlight. I can shine on anybody out there. Never mind, I got a gun strapped to my back. That don't make, the gun don't make me feel good. The flashlight makes me feel good. So straight up Elmer Fudd back to the truck, like, trying to be quiet. So whatever it is out there that made that noise doesn't hunt you down. I get a little nervous, but when I turn that light on, it's amazing how much boldness and courage I get about me all at once. Come here, Ashley. You got your phone with you? All y'all take your phones out right now. I have to give you permission to do this during the service. Take advantage of it. As believers, we carry the light of the world with us into the dark world around us. Ashley, turn your light on. But here's the deal. Just one light surrounded by darkness, it can still leave us feeling a little timid and afraid. One light in and of itself, it's not that impactful, nor is it that impressive. But there's something about having the comfort of others with you when you're walking in the dark. Amen? Anybody scared of the dark? What my sister, when the power used to go out at the house, as soon as it would go out, I could hear the covers fling back, and it was like down the hall to my parents' room <laughs> or to my room. There's something about having the comfort of others with you when you're walking in the dark. Can I tell y'all, that's why Jesus puts us together in the church, his body which in Matthew chapter 5, he calls the light of the world. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. So my wife, in and of herself, walks around in this dark world with her light. And it's not that great. It's not that impressive. It's not that bright. But then we get together in the community of believers and Caitlin turns her light on. And then... Morgan turns her light on whenever you're ready, Morgan. <laughs> and then Avery turns his light on. And then we move on, and Emily turns her light on. And Joy turns her light on. And Adam turns his light on. And Charlie turns her light on. And Kenzie turns her light on. And Sam turns her light on. And Blake turns his light on. And Kyle turns his light on. And one by one, we begin to walk together as the light of the world. And as it begins to grow, we begin to encounter new believers and they enter into the family of God. And then the next section, right here, everybody turns their lights on. And we're walking together. And then we get to this section and everybody lets their light shine. And then we get to this section and everybody lets their light shine. And then we get to this section, and everybody lets their light shine. And then we go out into the world with our light shining bright for Jesus. And the next thing you know, we encounter somebody who's lost in darkness. They're attracted to the light, and somebody gives their life to Jesus. And then they let their light shine. And as we keep walking, we encounter somebody else. 
And they encounter the light that we have within us. And they give their life to Jesus. And then their light shines. And as we continue to go in and out throughout this world, letting our light shine for Jesus, we encounter somebody else. And they give their life to Jesus. And now their light begins to shine. And then the next thing you know, it happens all over again. We encounter somebody else. They give their life to Jesus. Now their light begins to shine. And then it continues to happen because Jesus designed it this way. As we go out and we reach out and we let our light shine out, somebody else gives their life to Jesus. And the next thing you know, their light's shining. And what was once darkness all around us is now lit up by the light of the world within us. This is the impact that a body of believers can have on the darkness around them. It can be intimidating trying to do it by yourself. But when we come together and we all unashamedly let our light shine, that darkness isn't so scary anymore. Because there's nothing around us that the light within us can't drive back. Thanks for listening to the message. We hope that you will continue to join us each week as we journey through Jesus' I Am statements. We're trusting that God is going to show us some mighty things about who He is through those two words. So be sure to meet us here again next week.